Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Wednesday, October 14th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, a thought-provoking proposal from Eli Pariser on how we can fix the broken parts of our internet by creating digital public parks. NASA drops their latest single, The Sounds of the Milky Way. And how to make your own AR jack-o'-lantern using an Amazon Prime box. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. I'm one of those millennials whose entire career is pretty much thanks to the internet, specifically social media, and yet, in case you haven't picked up on this from my occasional commentary on this podcast, I increasingly wonder if we should have just never turned it on at all, so to speak. So when I saw a new article from Eli Pariser, you know, the founder of Upworthy, the dude who coined the term filter bubble, saying that the thing we need to do to fix the internet is to create more spaces for people to interact with each other virtually, I was more than a little skeptical. But knowing the foresight and expertise Pariser has brought to the table in the past, I stuck with the piece, and I'd like to share some of it with you. Actually, quite a bit of it. So, Pariser starts with the premise we're all familiar with. The World Wide Web was supposed to be the great connector, and while it has been, in many ways, at the moment it feels like it's driving us further apart than ever before. Of course, many societies have been this divided in the past, and they've tried all manner of solutions. One that Pariser specifically points to? The public park. While describing his neighborhood park in Brooklyn, he says, quote, In short, the park allows very different people to gather, see each other, and coexist in the same space. When it's all working, Fort Greene Park can feel like an ode to pluralistic democracy itself. And that's not a coincidence, it's by design. End quote. Pariser then explains that design and a bit of history of that specific park. Bear with me here, though, because it is relevant. Quoting again, In 1846, Walt Whitman envisioned Fort Greene Park to serve this precise purpose. New York City had no public parks at the time, only walled commercial pleasure gardens for those who could afford to enter. Whitman, then an up-and-coming newspaper editor, used the Brooklyn Eagles' front page to advocate for a space that would accommodate everyone, especially the working-class immigrants crowded into shanty towns along nearby Myrtle Avenue. Whitman saw public spaces as critical elements of the new American democracy. They were spaces to celebrate individuality and build collective identity. Public parks, he argued, could help weave a greater, more egalitarian we. In Fort Greene Park, this project, the building of a collective identity, the weaving of a social fabric, is ongoing. That the park was the rallying point for one of New York's first major Black Lives Matter protests after George Floyd's murder is not incidental. Conflict and contestation are important parts of how healthy democracies progress, as long as there are structures that facilitate it. Functional public spaces are central to this work. They allow us to assemble, to share common experiences, and to demonstrate that what might have seemed like individual struggles are actually the result of unjust systems that demand correction. Now, accelerated by the pandemic, we spend much of our time living and conversing with others in a different location, digital space. But social media and messaging platforms weren't designed to serve as public spaces. They were designed to monetize attention, end quote. So there it is. We need to build digital public space that is not for financial gain by a select few, but rather focused on the public good for all. 
Pearser compares the major social media platforms of today to the walled gardens of the New York elite that Whitman was trying to combat in his design of New York City's first public park. Because even though they're open to anyone, they're controlled by a corporate owner who is benefiting off of things and in ways that do not benefit the public good. One way social media platforms go against the public good is because as companies, they're focused on growth. And for a social media platform, growth necessarily means creating a product that people want to use again and again for more and more time. And to do that, your experience should be one you enjoy, with algorithms feeding you content you want to see, or at least can't resist. It creates what Pariser calls a frictionless experience. But as he pointed out in the present use of Fort Greene Park, friction and conflict are natural attributes of a genuinely public space. And when you're constantly consuming and engaging with content that you agree with and that feeds your biases, your worldview gets more and more narrow. But, quoting again, Public spaces are so generative precisely because we run into people we'd normally avoid, encounter events we'd never expect, and have to negotiate with other groups that have their own needs. The social connections that run-ins create, social scientists tell us, are critical in binding communities together across lines of difference. Building a healthy community requires the careful generation of this thick web of social ties. Rapid growth can quickly overwhelm and destroy it, as anyone who has lived in a gentrifying neighborhood knows, end quote. And another reason social media platforms fail as public spaces is because they are owned by that select few, and in most cases right now, those select few are white dudes, ones who do not experience and in some way can never quite understand the very real problems, like harassment, that people of color, women, and people of other genders face online meaning they don't ever sufficiently fix those problems. A better solution, and one that exists in public spaces, is for them to be owned and designed by everyone. Of course, decision-making with so many cooks in the kitchen and all of that upkeep that has to happen in a public space in order to make sure it truly continues to serve the public is a lot of work. And it's not the kind of work we glorify, it's not new and shiny, it's an ongoing slog. Quoting again, but while this work is essential, it's also both undervalued and costly. As the global research network The Maintainers have argued, building shiny new edifices tends to be seen as a masculine pursuit and lionized, whereas the work needed to keep spaces functional and livable over time is often seen as boring, feminine, and, as a result, uncompensated and sidelined. The cost of this labor also doesn't scale the way techies like. The more people in a space, the more labor is required and the greater the expense, end quote. And that's not the only challenge to this proposal. There's also the money just overall. How do you convince venture capitalists to invest in something that will probably be more philanthropic than anything else? Though Pariser does point out that we value physical public infrastructure quite high, Central Park, valued at $37 trillion by some calculations, is worth 15 Facebooks. Still, a better option, suggested by the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, might be to tax targeted advertising and use that to build digital public infrastructure and support other democratic functions that have suffered under big tech, like local journalism. And just to note, Pariser isn't arguing for the end of private sites and platforms. You know, just as we do in real physical cities, we need both private and public spaces. 
Bookstores are awesome, but they do not serve all the same community functions as libraries, he points out. But they do serve a critical purpose, much more than many people realize. And if we truly want to fight back against some of the divisions, the conspiratorial thinking, the misinformation, the myriad of ways social media has harmed our democracies and our societies, super ambitious creative ideas like this may be our big shot. Pariser goes as far as to call it this generation's Apollo mission. Now, do I personally think that creating a few even very well-designed, well-funded, and well-maintained public spaces online will solve everything, especially if they don't directly address a lot of the problems with the major private platforms? Not really. But I do think something like that tax idea and an overall larger plan to restore a lot of what has been lost could bring us back from the brink. I'll leave you with Pariser's conclusion. Quote, We've tackled problems of this magnitude before. The public park is only one of many institutions that was created to enact America's egalitarian values. At the turn of the 20th century, public libraries opened nationwide to help foster literacy. In the 1910s, a few communities in the Midwest embraced the radical notion of free, universal, secondary education, high school. In times like these, it's hard to remember that together we can do big things. With imagination and will, we can build spaces where we flourish together. After all, we've done it before. End quote. All right, after that huge dive into the kind of sad state of our online lives and society writ large, I want to zoom out all the way out to space with the musical sounds of our galaxy. NASA recently took images of the Milky Way from the Chandra X-ray Observatory, the Hubble Space Telescope, and the Spitzer Space Telescope, and sonified them into music by turning the data captured in different types of light into sound. The audio has been released in a few different versions as an ensemble and then as solos from each of the different telescopes, and is presented in a video format so that you can see how the sound interprets the actual image being sonified, but it still sounds just as cool even when you don't see the image. Quoting NASA, The translation begins on the left side of the image and moves to the right, with the sounds representing the position and brightness of the sources. The light of the objects located toward the top of the image are heard as higher pitches while the intensity of the light controls the volume. Stars and compact sources are converted to individual notes while extended clouds of gas and dust produce an evolving drone. The crescendo happens when we reach the bright region to the lower right of the image. This is where the 4 million solar mass supermassive black hole at the center of the galaxy, known as Sagittarius A star, resides, and where the clouds of gas and dust are the brightest. End quote. And the image shows a region of about 400 light years across. So here's a clip of just a few light years. This is not the first time that NASA or other organizations have sonified the data from telescopes, so if you want to check out others, hit up the link in the show notes. 
You know, if I were NASA, if they haven't done this already, I'd get to work on some guided meditation tapes set to various places in space because, you know, it is just inherently very calming and mind-expanding to listen to. Amazon is taking the idea of the cardboard box being more fun than what comes inside of it to the next level. They are introducing the first of what it seems like will be a series of augmented reality experiences printed onto their Prime shipping boxes. So if you get one, the box will have a QR code on it and does require an Amazon AR app to use. The first one they're doing, just in time for Halloween, comes with a big, solid white pumpkin on the box that you're then invited to draw your own jack-o'-lantern-style face or design onto. Then you scan the QR code in the app, and a colored 3D version of your decorated pumpkin will appear on the screen in your environment. You can take the pumpkin all over your house, dress it up with various stickers within the app, and with newer iPhones, use it as a selfie filter that tracks your face movement. So, it's a kind of cool activity, but I bet your kids will still have more fun playing with the cardboard box itself than the AR app. That is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'm going to go drop those NASA tracks into the iTunes visualizer and just zone out for a while. I hope you all have a good rest of your day, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.